0: So this morning, we're not going to turn to a particular passage. I'm going to do an overview of uh, the attributes of God this morning. Next week, we will begin that first attribute and go into that first one and go sort of one by one. But this morning, I'm really excited because it's a new series and it's focusing on the attributes of God, the essence of God, the nature of God. And I, I want to say something that's really important. That the manner in which we worship God is informed and established by our knowledge of God, who we know God to be, how we understand God. In other words, our theology, and I know uh, in many circles, this word is sort of taboo. The the idea of theology is not necessarily uh, something that a lot of Christians want to uh, ascribe to, to aspire to that the study of God is boring. I just want to feel God. I just want to experience God. I just need to have uh, some hyper, uh, over-emotional sort of setting for me to live in, and just that's how I know God. But the truth of the matter is, is that our theology, our study of God, who we know God to be, most accurately informs us of our doxology, which is our worship and our experience of God. So who we know God to be and how we understand God will more effectively and more accurately uh, cause us to be able to worship God with more passion. So knowing him leads to more passionate worship. That's sort of uh, the, the point of this going through over the next several months. A true worshiper is one that desires to know God, whose aim is to discover the truthfulness of God the essence of God, the nature of God, as he has revealed himself in his word. That is why this will be a biblically-centered study. How is it that we can most accurately understand the nature of God, therefore causing in us a Christ-centered, self-surrendered, glory-saturated worship? How is it that we can do this? How is it that our worship can be defined this way? It is by one way, discovering the attributes of God, the nature of God. What makes God, God? My words, I use this all the time, it is the Godness of God that we're after. My view of God uh, presents and um, produces fervent, truthful worship and delights in the attributes of God. An uninformed view of God produces distorted and flawed worship of a God who does not exist. When we make up God in our own minds by our own experiences, that is not a real God. That is a false God we have made up. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But a true worshiper wants to know God in order to worship God. You cannot worship what you do not know. So I'm excited. But as we charge headfirst into this series, you're gonna see the stunning splendor of God, the godness of God as he reveals himself and unveils himself in his word. Healthy, vibrant, authentic relationship predicated on knowing God. Has revealed himself to be not an academic exercise. It's not an intellectual pursuit. We're not just fact finding. What we're doing is we are discovering and encountering the very nature of God, in order that uh, our worship of God is more passionate, more fervent. So let's start at the beginning. What is an attribute? What would we consider an attribute? Just basically in its definition. It is this, a quality or a feature regarded as a characteristic or inherent part of someone or something. Some synonyms for an attribute would be this, a trait, an element, an aspect, or a distinction. We all have attributes that make us us. Good, some bad. If I were to ask you Uh, to describe or to ascribe attributes to someone that you know well in your life, hopefully you would be able to run off a list of them. So I'm going to do that right now. No one knows that I'm asking them, so I'm going to ask. Kathy, do you describe maybe attributes of your husband? Now, at least one can be positive, so don't worry. (laughs) Give me three attributes of your husband, putting you on the spot here. I know, I would agree with all of them. All right, uh, let's go. One more, anybody wanna volunteer? Did you, Ingrid? Okay, integrity, hardworking, and passionate about Jesus. All right, I'm going to pick somebody else. Wendy. No, actually, let's pick the husband. Aaron. Aaron, give me three about (laughs) Wendy. Give me three about Wendy. Can you do it? Oh, look at her. Look at you. Look at her. Look at you. Uh, uh. Yep. So wonderful when we, as we get to know people in relationship, when we have in our lives. Uh, there's this certain sense that we know so little about them, but as we experience and work through life together, a relationship with them, that we get to discover more of these attributes about those. That, I would say, for me, this is an exhaustive list. Of lists. But I would say for my wife, I would go with persistent a little bit. Um, This is not in order, nor is it exhaustive, but persistent, um, discerning. I can't get anything by her. knows everything before she opens it at Christmas time. It's great. That's because she asks for half of it, and I just buy it. And committed. She's so committed. She's committed to me. Uh, All my fails and all my... Anybody else want to just volunteer? No? Or earn some good points? No? Oh, mom, your attributes? Um, Man, there's a lot. I would say... I would say, steadfast. All right, so let's talk about the, the attributes of God for a moment. But those are kind of what we're going to be talking about. What makes God, God? God... Uh, What we're going to look at this morning is the attributes of God, because these are what define and describe God, even though they're not exhaustive in nature, that there's much more that we could say about God in this series, but uh, due to the amount of time we have, we can't. So we're just going to look at some, and here are some of those. Uh, Some of those attributes are that God is spiritual, that God is sovereign, that God is holy, that God is immutable. He is never changing. Uh, and uh, the uh, aseity of God is self-existent in the sense that he doesn't need anything else for him to exist. He is truthful. He is wise. He's good. He's gracious. He's loving. He's foreknowing. He's righteous, and he's wrathful. These are all uh, attributes of God that we're going to look at in this series as we go. So a couple of things that I want uh, to share with you this morning uh, with regards to how we're supposed to look at these attributes of God. I want you to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to give you these scriptures beforehand. Uh, Exodus chapter 15 and Psalm 89. So if you would like to turn there with me, get into those in a moment. But um, the first thing I want us to understand about the attributes of God is this, or, or, or about knowing God is this, is that the trajectory of our earthly life, this is really important if you're taking notes, the trajectory of our earthly life is predicated on knowing God. The trajectory of your earthly life is predicated on knowing God. As we grow our understanding of God, there will be a passionate pursuit of him. That as we know him, we pursue him. That we would fashion our lives in accord with his his will. That we would live by his commands. And that we would want to reflect his nature and, and become like him. So The idea is, is that as we know God, our trajectory of, of our earthly life is represented by our knowing of God. Look at this in Exodus chapter 15. Moses knew God. Moses just didn't have a bunch of spiritual experience with, with God. Moses knew God. He knew God when he couldn't see God or, or feel God. He knew him in the moments of, uh, of tremendous victory and when, uh, when he was experiencing what seemed to be tremendous defeat in his life. Moses knew God. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. song of Moses after crossing uh, the Red Sea. Listen to what he says here. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds? Doing wonders. You stretched out your hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy. Let's just look here for a moment at some of the attributes that Moses is distinctly aware of when it comes to God. He is majestic, He is holy. He is able to do wonders. He is mighty. He is steadfast. He is loving. He is redemptive. He is strong. And he guides his people into his holy abode, his very presence where he dwells. Moses knew God. He knew God and his life was determined by him knowing God. If Moses rejects God, his life looks very different. But Moses knew God. 89, verse 5. But the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the Holy. Awesome above all who are around Him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty, who is mighty as you are. Psalmist here knew God. It was the sovereignty of God that was uh, the thing that was most distinct about this. It was, it, was the, it was the exclusiveness of God to do things that no one else could do. It was his faithfulness. Who can be compared to him? No one. His counsel, his perfect word, his perfect decrees, perfect law. Distinctness of Psalmist Salma's his life was influenced and the trajectory of it was influenced tremendously by knowing God. He knew God. He knew the attributes of God. He knew what made up God. He knew his nature. So the trajectory of our life is critical, knowing God. Secondly, the reality of our eternal life predicated on knowing God. John 17 and Isaiah 66. The reality of our eternal life is predicated on knowing God, who we understand him to be through the revelation of himself. John 17. About what constitutes John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may be glorified in you. Interestingly enough, Jesus has understood his death to be his ultimate glory. That Jesus had to die In order to glorify the father, it's this this spectacular love relationship between the father and the son. That the father just wants to glorify the son and and pour out his love on the son. and, And the son wants to do the same for the father. Jesus says, Lord, I go to the cross to glorify you. That's inherent in the cross. It's important to understand that Jesus had to die in order to glorify the father. He then says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. So the father gives the son the authority to give eternal life to all who believe. And then he says, and this is eternal life. What is it? That they know you. They know you. the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have saved. Not that they would have an opinion of you. Not that they would have an, just a simple experience with you. Not that they would develop feelings about you. But they would know you in accord with your truth and who you say to be. Once we put our faith in Christ, the life of a Christian should be marked... By an ever-intensifying, unparalleled longing to grow in our knowledge of Christ, as it leads to eternal life. Odd out there, in many about Christ being universal. I don't know if any of you guys have heard about this kind of teaching that's happening in the body of Christ idea that Christ is universal in the sense that just by Christ coming and dying for the world that everyone is saved that Christ in himself universally secured salvation for the entire world just by him coming and dying that is a popular teaching right now going on in the body of Christ in some circles let me just tell you emphatically that that is not in line with, nor does it agree with the word of God or the truth of God. It is a God made in the, man, in the image of man. That, that God does not just simply save all just through uh, the death of Christ, but there is a profession of faith that must be made. There's a profession of faith. That's why it's important to know God, because knowing God determines your eternal life. What you say about God and believe about God determines your eternity. Christ just didn't come to save with no profession of faith. Paul said, "Those who believe in their heart and and confess with their lips, those are the ones who know Christ. Those are the ones who know God." Christ clearly. Communicates that to us in His. This knowing, O oh God, it is by humility. God will reveal Himself to those who humbly desire. Isaiah chapter 66, starting one, the heart, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my foot, what is the place? this this is the one that i will turn to and, show, and and declare myself to and make known to he who is humble proud those who are unwilling Not contrition and those who will not tremble at him, will not find reverence in him, who will not be in awe of him, but he will turn to those who are humble. Our reality eternally is predicated on knowing who God is. God's attributes are exclusively shareable. God's attributes are exclusively shareable. We'll be in 1st. They are shareable yet exclusive at the same time. The idea is this, is that they find their existence in God, that they are exclusive to him. That God's attributes come from God nowhere else. And they're exclusive to the person and nature and the essence of God. But yet they are shareable at the same time. It's kind of like God has posted his attributes and he has made it shareable for you. I love those posts on Facebook when someone posts you like, wow, that's an awesome post. And you're like, I can't share it. And you message the person go, hey, can you make this shareable? <laughs> they're like, yeah, no problem then you're able to share the post, right? Same idea. I don't even think shareable is a word. I just made it up. I'm putting it in here. But God's attributes are shareable to a certain degree. They're exclusive to him, but he shares them. Look at this in 1 John John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The idea is this, is that God is love in the sense that God is love by his very nature and essence is love. And so the mark of a Christian is to love because God has chosen to share his love with us. And that we can attain to some degree a measure of love in God. But understand God is love, love is not God. God has put parameters on love. He's put boundaries on love. He has determined what love is not man. God is love. And so because God is love, we share in his love because we love one another. So God has made his love shareable. Goes on to say, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. He has been made manifest among us in His love, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us first and sent His Son to the. I asked a couple teenagers a couple weeks ago while we were sitting here and talking, I said, struggling with how they think or not feeling like God loves them. What does God's word say about how he has most richly expressed wholeheartedly how he's loved you? Ask them to go do their homework. But this is a shortcut. How is it that God has most richly expressed his love for us? Through Christ. Through Christ, through the cross. That that Christ came and he died in our place. He led a life that we couldn't lead. And he reconciled us to himself, to God, to the Father. Outside of Christ's death, we are exiles. How is it that God has shown His love to us? It is through His Son coming and dying. It is the gospel, the good news. That is how He's shown it most, most importantly, most expressly. So, if you don't know or don't feel that God loves you this morning, rest at the foot of the cross. That is how God has shown his love to you more than anything. But he shares his love so we can love. We can be gracious. We can tell the truth. We can possess wisdom that comes from God. But God has also, because he is exclusively God, has decided to, to keep for himself some attributes that we do not possess. He has maintained his distinctness through certain attributes. God savors in the delight of his splendor by, by, by possessing attributes for himself. Here, God is self-existent. We are not. God is sovereign; we are not. God is omnipresent; we are not. God is omniscient; we are not. God is omnipotent; He is all powerful. We are not. You ever ask yourself this question: God think about Himself? Ever asked that question? I know you probably ask the question: What do other people think about me? Or what do you think about someone else? I think that we should be thinking about this, honest with you, more than what he thinks about us. I think if we could focus on what God thinks about himself. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Is exclusive, distinct, unparalleled, declaring the end from the beginning, all knowing, sovereign. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, not some, all my purpose that I have seeked to do, I will accomplish. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. God thinks about himself. I think it would do us a wonder of good. If we would focus more on how God's attributes are exclusively. It means that he possesses in fullness and with perfect measure every attribute. his attributes are never diminished and they're never more available. They're never diminished. They're never more accelerated. There's never more of God or less of God. It may seem that way in our experience, but God is no more, no less now than he will be or was. But his attributes are always in perfect measure and fullness. And they continually comprise the essence of God in their fullness, and they never needed to be added. That is the the godness of God, as I like to say, is never waning or increasing. It is not like the moon that we see every month, diminishing and increasing as it moves across the sky in its appearance but it's more like the consistent, continual, crashing waves of the ocean as it pounds the shore day after day after day. God is continual and eternal. Expresses and possesses them. in and, pur- and listen to... The- God's attributes are always the same and they are exclusively set apart, yet totally interdependent with one another. Let let me explain this for a moment. He's lovingly righteous in his wrath. He's immutably unchanging sovereign. He is enjoying his self-existent holiness. That God, by his very nature, is holy. And it's not because of anything outside of himself, but he is self-existently holy. And he dispenses wisdom truthfully. The wisdom we receive from God is always in accord with truth. He demonstrates his grace because of it. I want to ask you a question to end up this. How does God want to be worshiped? How do God How we answer that question for our lives. God has not given us the liberty to worship Him any way we choose. God is not honored by ignorant worship. In other words, we do not worship God in nature. Do not worship God through uh, vibrations or astrology. Dare I say, even the Enneagram, reality tests. That is not how God has called us to worship him called us to worship him through divination, or fortune-telling, or psychic reading. God has called us to worship him. Hey, i hey. Christ told us how God is to be worshipped. He defined the narrow parameters. And understanding how God wants to be worshipped has a tremendous impact Husbands as wives, as fathers as mothers, employees as bosses as co-workers, friends. And how he wants to be worshipped. It in John chapter. John four twenty one through twenty four says, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship what you do about an indictment order." What is he saying? Your worship is ignorant. Is coming when you will worship not on a mountain, not in a temple. Said we worship. Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Why this thing? Not worship God uninformed. The truth of God forms our worship of God. In fact, Studying the truth of God is a form of worship. Not book, but his words, what he declared. And so if we choose to worship God outside or at the uh, rejection of, or if this is marginalized in our lives, we will not worship God truthfully. That's why I think important series So what does it mean? Worshiping in spirit. Worship is a spiritual act. In other words, our worship is not bound to material realities. It's not bound to a building or sacrifices. See, the Samaritan woman, she was under the illusion that God had to be worshipped at a place and by a certain order, by certain bribed commands, ceremonially with the Jews. But Jesus said, there's a coming of time, and it is here now because I'm here, where you will worship God in spirit, not in a building, not by your sacrifices. That is what they were doing. Our worship cannot be filled with pretense. Acting. Remember in our Lord's Prayer study, when I began the series, Jesus laid out the way in which we should not worship. He said, do not pray in public for, the, for men to see you so that you would pray only with the desire for men to accept you. not put on a show for men. Worship cannot be filled with pretense, but it must be done with sincerity. God. Worship is a truthful. In other words, our worship has to be in accord with the reality of who God says He is. And the only way we know that is through discovering the attributes of God in the Word of God. How is it that we are to worship God if we do not know God? We are worshiping a false God. (laughs) So important. True worship must be predicated on knowing and understanding God as he has revealed himself. We are not at liberty of making a God of our own image, of our own imagination. Put it this way, often God is determined by what we experience. Often God is determined by what we feel. In other words, When we come into a worship setting, when we feel something, or when we have a reaction and emotion to God, then God showed up. But when we walk out of a corporate setting and there's nothing to be felt, God was not there. Happens all the time. Happened to me. God becomes determined by our emotions and our experiences. If I had an overwhelming emotional experience, then I felt God. Let me just say something. That we should have an emotional reaction to God. Scripture is clear. We are to be joyful. And we are to be uh, joyous and and peaceful and, and, and express emotion to God for who he is. It's not what I'm saying. Emotion experienced absent of the truth of God, simply hyper spirituality and emotionalism. It's not worshiping a true God, it's worshiping a God of our own image. Let's be careful to understand that knowing God comes through discovering the nature and essence and the attributes of God. A false understanding of God is determined exclusively by emotion. But we are called to worship God in truth. As you go, and as we go into the series, that God desires worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Romans 10, and this is it. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about his fellow countrymen, the Jews, who will not accept Christ. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Listen to this. A zeal for God, a passion for God, a desire to know God. But listen to what Paul says. But not according to what? Knowledge. They did not see Christ as he truly was, but they were holding on to their traditions and their ceremonies. They could not receive Christ because they did not worship God in truth. So he says, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, Paul says, your righteousness is attained by faith in Christ, not by your works. You cannot know God through your work. You cannot put your faith in God, in your work, but it is simply by faith alone through the grace of God that you have been brought into the family of God. And now because the Spirit dwells in you, you can actually know God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.